You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. If you want to learn about the music industry and you don't know where to go, tune in to WP88.7. Very live, I'm your professor, David yeah. Kirkfield, here with my best friend ever, Dr. Stavon. That is he who he is. Yes. And we're live in front of a, a live studio audience of 7,000 people. We're here at Red Rocks. Very special Yeah, this is very special. Why is it so special, Dr. Stavon? It's so windy. It is very windy outside, but on the inside, it's warm and cozy. It's like we're embracing <coughs> all of us together. I'm spooning. Yes, one big spoon, that's what we are. So we should give them some medicine in that spoon tonight, a medicine of knowledge. Yes. It's an uh, excellent opportunity to find out what you would, might like to do in the music industry from some of the uh, strongest people in the business. We want to thank them right away for coming out and spending this uh, blustery night with us. And uh, why don't we... Well... <coughs> Well, we have to give some thanks first. First, let's give a quick in intro of each person, then we'll give some thanks. So first, we have Mark Robinson, Head of Business Affairs for 300 Entertainment. <laughs> Next to him, we have Alex Cram, a Vice President, not the President, but a Vice President. She just saw the movie Vice about Dick Cheney, and she's with Warner Music Artist Services. Next to her is a fellow named Sean Striegel, who is not a vice president, he's a senior vice president, so he's even taller than Alex Cram. By the way, that's Alex with an A-L-I-X, for those of you keeping score at home. But he's the senior vice president of New York and New Jersey at Live Nation. Live Nation! And Sean, that is how they pronounce it in the office, Live Nation. Yes, that's, 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 I figured that out. And next to Sean is our good friend, a graduate of our Master's in Business, how do you say MBA? An MBA, yeah, I have got one of those things, an MBA, three letters. Her name is Geneva Gamblin, International Marketing for Electra Music Group. Yes, there is, in fact, we have three graduates also in the audience as well who we'd like to introduce real quickly. One, sitting way in the back in the red hat, his name is Joe Pomerico. He has turned his MBA into a job at Atlantic Records. Joe Pomerico! <laughs> Speaking of Joe Pomerico, sitting nearby is a good friend of ours and a good friend of yours. She graduated here 17 years ago. Her name is Joelle Filippi for Columbia Sony Music Entertainment. 
and then I lied a moment ago. I said they're all grads. One of them is just about to graduate. She is somebody who's interned at Warner Music Group. She's interned pretty much everywhere. Right now, she's interning at Vector Marketing. Not Vector Marketing. I worked for Vector Marketing in college, and that's where I sold knives, Cutco knives. Cutco knives, everybody. Uh, Vector Management, her name is Kellen Barnes. She had a job at Warner in addition to an internship, and she threw it all away for another internship. All right, so we'll learn from her what not to do. And then, finally, we want to introduce, on your right, our left, our Lister's middle. Her name is Ashley Weltner. She is our engineer tonight. <laughs> finally, we should thank Mio. Could we thank Mio, the music entertainment organization? Everybody on the Mio board. Wynn, Taylor, Jade, Bianca, Gina, thank you all very much for putting this together. Come to William Patterson University, and you will be part of this greatness that is happening right now. So thank you all for coming out. Good night. That's it. Bye-bye. Of course we joke. Marconi, take. Oh, we should give thanks? Uh, we're going to give thanks to you. Do you mind if I bring this closer? For those of you listening at home, I'm about to do something really cool. Okay, so we want to give thanks to the folks at Bandai and Bruno Inc. and White Hat Management. With artists like Dab, Dave Matthews, Three Doors Down, St. Vincent and Kiss, there's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go to VB. CPA.com when you are ready. And uh, we want to give thanks to Christine. Vey, a wealth manager and the president of Vey Wealth Management. Christine has helped many professionals at William Patterson University manage their investments, plan for their retirement. If you're looking for some guidance on how to plan for your retirement, if you have questions on anything, investment portfolio management, insurance, retirement planning, give Christine a call at Sean Striegel, repeat after me, 732. 732. Alex Cram, 455. 455. Mark Robinson, 15. 15. Diva? 10. Or you can email her, Christine at Baywealth.com for advice. That's it. Steve Marconi, everybody. There will be no ad. There will be no ad. That's right. So why don't we begin? No more fooling around. You've been fooling around this whole time. Let's begin. Okay, we're going to start with Alec. What is Warner Artist Services? What do you guys do? What do we do? We basically help all of the labels under the Warner Music Group umbrella monetize all the non-music rights that the artists bring to us, essentially. So that includes VIP experiences, developing their merch for tour, building out their e-commerce business, and then my world of retail and licensing globally. And you do this for artists that are not on Warner? We do indeed. So on top of servicing all the labels under Warner Music Group, so you have Atlantic Records, Rhino Records, Electra Records, um, but we also actively seek out artists signed to other labels to help monetize their rights. So for example, um, probably the best example of that right now is the rapper Logic. Uh, who's heard of Logic? Anyone? Okay. So uh, Logic's actually over at Universal as the parent label, and we had kind of brought him over early in his career and do all of his merch, his retail, his licensing, etc. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, Sean, I see that you are head of uh, New York, New Jersey, 
in Pennsylvania uh, for a live nation? No, just New York and New Jersey. Okay, New York and New Jersey. Is, what is the structure of Live Nation? Is it by territory? I mean, it's such a huge company, and I think people wonder what... Do you guys talk to each other when there's a tour going out that is a Live Nation tour and being routed through you, or what? We do. Um, Live Nation is basically split into two different segments, if you will. Uh, now, there's different... Each market is a different business unit, like my business unit is New York and New Jersey. Um, and within that business unit, there's two divisions. There's a club and theater division, which is basically 3,000 capacity and under. And then there's the North American Concerts Division, which is anything over 3,000 capacity. Uh, I'm in charge of the club and theater division. Uh, and yes, all of, we have conference calls, we have meetings. Um, with the other business units uh, all over the U.S. and then I myself have calls with our European partners and our uh, Japanese partners as well because of certain touring things that I'm involved in. And that's uh, primarily for the rooms that are in New York and New Jersey. Uh, and you yes, but I I'm also involved in some of the touring elements. I, I help produce some of our club and theater tours for Live Nation, so I, I am involved in in some of the touring that does go all across the U.S. and Canada. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Geneva, you just, uh, well, they're resurrecting, re resurrecting a new, an old label at Atlantic uh, called Electra. But yeah. prior to that, you were at Atlantic International. Yes. And how did this changeover occur? So, apparently it was something that was in the works for at least a year to a year and a half. Um, and then in June or July, it was announced officially. And within the building, they kind of had it be known that some of the people who were working under Atlantic would be transitioning over to Electra, especially anyone who was already working for Electra, working like the Fueled by Ramen Roadrunner acts. Whereas in my department, Atlantic International, we were in charge of anything that fell under the Atlantic umbrella. I was naturally, because of my position, working for all the fuel by, all the Roadrunner, all the Electra acts already, so in my mind it kind of just made sense, sense to go over. So when they were trying to form their team, they were like, oh, you're already working the projects, it makes sense to just move you over. So that's how that kind of happened. Do you have the same boss or a different boss? I have one of the same bosses, and then we actually brought someone over from the UK to fill, fill out our role because we couldn't bring the other person that was working those apps, unfortunately. Uh -huh. Okay, great. And uh, <coughs> Atlantic is pretty hot right now, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty hot. What does Electra have right now that's pretty hot? I'd say Electra is pretty hot. So we still have Twin Pilots, Panic at the Discos, who was having a crazy career resurrection. Um, and then just up and coming, I guess. Twin Pilots, Panic at the Disco, I think that makes us pretty hot. <laughs> okay, and my last question to Mark now. Business affairs. So you are the, um, let's say you're the architect of some of the deals, signing deals that happen at 300? Yeah, my role is, uh, I play a lot of roles, but my main role is to structure the deals when we sign a new artist uh, and, and get those executed and get the artist signed. I also act as the uh, Say like a consigliere, everybody within the organization, from 
the head of the company to publicity to the A&R folks, uh, touch every department, uh, and help the artist out also on the outside. Mm -hmm. So the multiple rights deal or the 360 deal, you were there when it first started? Not only in 300, you were in the business? Yeah. You know, that, that was something that uh, Lee Orcone really drove when I, I was at Warner Music Group for 10 years, and we could not do a deal without having it a, be a 360. And when we say 360, it was at a time when the CD was declining, and everybody sat around and said, oh my God, we're going to be a lot of business. Where else can we get money? So we're investing all this money in artists, so we started doing deals that we participated in, touring, in uh, really any ancillary rights that the artist might, you know, if the artist is on TV and got paid, we would take a piece of that, a small piece. And the view, you know, many of the big artists at Atlantic right now that we did then, like Bruno Mars and Ed Sheeran, were all 360 rights and probably why you have a job. Big reason why I have a job. So the company must have uh, restructured somewhat to sort of service the artists when these deals became normal. They, they did, and you know, a lot of it was passive income, but there were certain things like publishing where Warner had Warner Chapel. So we would send people over to Warner Chapel, or if we got merchandising rights, we formed a merchandise, merchandise division, and uh, I think that's thriving today. I think that things have changed a little bit since then, where companies like 300, we do try to participate in other avenues, but it w we wouldn't lose a deal over it. One other thing we want to note, uh, if you guys have questions at some point, we are going to open it up later. And so if you have something as we go on, feel free to step up to the mic and we'll give you a shot. So a uh, question I have for Sean, since we do have a room full of, of college students, right before we started, you and I were having a a conversation, and you had mentioned something about Live Nation and what you as a company are selling that you try to pass along to students when they, I'm sorry, to graduates or new people at Live Nation. Can you kind of explain what we were talking about? Uh, sure. Um, what you and I were talking about was that for somebody entering the music business, I guess, uh, it was straight out of college is the most important thing. If you're not a musician, um, recognize what you're going into business and what you're actually selling. Um, much different than what you're doing is as a concert promoter, what we're selling is an experience. We're not selling something actually tangible. So it's all about the experience and it's about doing it right. And what you're doing is you're actually having to convince people and that's why the venues have to be up to, you know, the, the proper staffing and security and all the accoutrements and just, the sound and lights all have to be perfect and you have to understand about how you're actually reaching the people, giving them the value for their money because what you're selling is something they can't actually take home with them. It's just a memory that they're taking home. It, it, people are spending thousands of dollars on a concert ticket and all they're getting to take home with them is that actual ticket and a memory. So that's like one of the most important things that I like to impress upon somebody new coming into the business is that if you're getting in the business as a promoter or somebody in the advertising or the marketing aspect of the business is that 
recognize what it is you're actually getting into the business to sell because it's not a physical piece. Yeah, they can buy a t-shirt when they're at the show, but they had to actually buy a ticket to get into that show before they can actually buy something physical. Great, okay. And one thing I want to ask all four of you, and we could start with Mark and kind of go down the line, it's about the work ethic needed to be in the industry, to get in and then to stay in once you're there. And obviously, you each are at different levels, and three of you are VP and, and above. Uh, Mark, can you explain sort of what you see and what you expect in terms of the amount of time, the amount of effort, uh, the passion needed to be in the industry? Well, I, I mean, it's, it's really a breakthrough in industry. And there's a hundred other people that want that job. So we look for people that come in that are tireless, that will go the extra mile, and uh, that really want to be there. And I think we're seeing some of the, I don't, I don't want to piss off everybody here, but you know, the millennials, it's a different attitude. Like uh, when, when, and I'm not saying everybody in the room, but there was, there was when we came through. I had a time in my career where, uh, at my first label, where they stopped paying us, and I had a choice: either to go do real estate law in New Jersey or keep doing what I love. And I stuck with it, and I was lucky, and it went the right direction. But you, you have you have to have that attitude because there's somebody else that'll that'll step in. Uh, I think we can tell pretty quickly. You know, you you could just tell the people that are you know we want to see people that are that are showing up, not just FaceTime, but showing up before we get there and staying and going the extra mile. Alex, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I'm actually relatively new. Is my life on? Yeah. Um, I'm relatively new to the music business. I came over to Warner um, from the entertainment world of very corporate structured Viacom and then um, dabbled and had my own agency and worked on a lot of entrepreneurial efforts at the same time. So coming in the music industry about four or five years ago was an incredible shift and I think what attracted me, um, it certainly wasn't the salary because if I stayed the corporate route I would have made a lot more money. Um, it was the fact that I was coming to a job every day surrounded by people that absolutely wanted to there. It was unparalleled in any other career kind of path that I had been in. To this point, people were tireless, but they always kind of had a smile on their face. And people wanted to hang out. Like, it was a culture. Um, and that's priceless because it's the people that you want to come in for every day. It's not necessarily the business side. So you have to like the people that you're working with. So when I'm hiring now, now that I'm at Warner, I look for the experience, yes, but we're not doing rocket science. So as long as you have a hustle about you and you have that kind of mentality, you understand what it takes, you can learn the job, especially on the entry-level side. It's more about, can you fit into the culture? Are you going to be one that's going to, like, oh, it's 5 o'clock, you've got to bounce, or are you going to be like, okay, I'm going to put in the work and wait till my boss leaves, and then I'll leave. Um, so I, I echo a lot of what Mark was saying. Mr. Striegel. To me, like, the, the important thing is that I just, I, I think about when somebody new is coming in and, and what their career is going to look like is, if you're going to say what you're going to do, do it. 
like uh, there's the follow through is the most important thing. I mean, just that's the biggest ball that's dropped right there. And the second thing is is that there is no entitlement in this industry whatsoever. And I think that's what these two guys are saying is that you cannot just walk in and expect because you have a friend in the label or because you love music that a job is waiting for you. You have got to work your fingers to the bone. You've got to do absolutely everything. You have to do the menial tasks that nobody wants to do. You just, you have to, unfortunately, you've heard the words that, you know, the corporate ladder, there is that ladder, and you have to be humble enough to recognize you are going to start at the lowest rung and work your way up. But if you stick in there, you will work your way up. It's that simple. Geneva, you're the, I don't want to say most inexperienced, I want to say the, the youngest at, uh, at the table and probably the one who's, most, who's closest to college. So from your perspective, what are you seeing? What did you experience yourself in order to get into the job? Um, definitely something that I've kind of witnessed more so now that I've kind of become the person supervising interns coming in is knowing when they actually have a passion for it or they're just there because they think it's cool to work at a label. Um, and I know for me, when I was interning, I was very passionate about working in the music industry because music was like the only thing I loved. And I would go in on days when I wasn't supposed to. I would stay and work. I would come in early or stay late and go to events that I was invited to. I would make the most of my time wherever I was. And just that's something I look for now, especially in our interns. And it's kind of weird because even though on this panel I may be like the youngest one and kind of starting off my career, I see a shift even now with some of the people I work with that are coming in where it's that passion and that like ability and need, like neediness to want to like work and do the work just doesn't seem to be there. Um, and again, not to offend anyone, like it seems to be like a disconnect between I think the age, um, I'm seeing like a lot of people come in, they're kind of like, oh, I work in the music industry, this is awesome, I'm gonna go to shows every night and leave at five o'clock, and it's like, no, like there's nights you're not gonna leave until after 10 or 11, and you just gotta deal with it if this is really what you want. Yeah, how about the, uh, the idea of finding, or just keeping your eyes open for something that's not being done that you think could be done better, or, you know, you're filling some sort of a slack. I'll give you an example. Uh, a former student of mine in the 80s, he was, uh, I think he had a mailroom job at uh, ICM, if I'm not mistaken, and he would deliver the mail on the cart, you know, and go through all the departments. And he noticed that around lunchtime, there, not only did the agent go out, but the assistant went out too, and the days before cell phones. And the phones kept ringing. So he would answer the phone, and he would leave a note on the agent's table to call Joe or something, and he'd leave his name. And he did this, you know, just because he, he thought it would be a great idea to, not only for him, but just to make the thing more efficient. And the agent started coming in and going, who's this, who is this guy, you know? And he got a job as a junior agent, then an agent. Now he's uh, actually president of touring in the agency that he's, that he's at. But do you, do you see anything like that that impresses you uh, to the point where you could almost go, gee, why didn't we think of that? Or, has anybody got any story to that 
Yeah, I mean, there's countless stories of that at Warner in the last few years that I've been there, and that's what impresses me the most, is that you're not stuck in a particular job. If good ideas come from anywhere, and if you have an idea and you speak up, you will be heard, and you may be able to put that idea into action. There's a young guy in on the team who, um, I think it was a coordinator at the time, and this was when Record Store Day started to kind of become a thing and celebrate vinyl and independent record stores and retailers out there. And he decided to put together kind of like a bar crawl, but for record stores. Um, and he came up with this idea and he kind of pitched it to his, his senior team. And people were like, okay, go ahead, have fun with it. Like, what do you need for us to do? And he didn't really have a budget to work with, but he put in the kind of the, the sweat hours and pulled this together. And now I think it's in his third year. He has, I help him with, my team helps him with beer sponsorship. He gets artists to come on a, a bus that he takes all over New York. He's expanded it into other cities across the country, and it's now become a revenue stream. Um, and he's since been promoted as a result of it, um, along with his other efforts. So that's just a really great example, and I think that that's one aspect to this industry that's really unique is that you can have a really strong entrepreneurial spirit and let that take you pretty far. I have a couple questions. We have two people up here uh, who are going to be networking with you guys later on. But one is Joel Filippi, who works for Sony Music Entertainment, and one is Joe Pomerico, who works for Atlantic Records. And I want them each to tell you in terms of the work ethic and how hard it can be, or easy maybe, to get in. But uh, I want them each to explain to you their story real briefly so you can kind of get a sense of took a long time, got in right away kind of thing. So come here, Joel. So Joelle had the perfect resume when she got, just, I'll just talk for you, but she had the perfect resume when she got out of college. She, she had been the president of our music and entertainment organization for three years. She, her LinkedIn looked awesome. She had an internship after internship after internship. And she seemed to be really set up that when she graduated, when did you graduate? In 17? When, May of 17, so two years coming up, uh, we thought like that, you know, she would be one of those people who gets a job like right out of the block. And it didn't work out that way. Can you kind of use the microphone and explain? I haven't spoken in public since college. Um, yeah, so exactly what Philip was saying. I interned a lot. I maybe had like five or six internships maybe um, at Atlantic, at Alternative Press, at, I don't even remember, a lot of places. And so I kind of was like, okay, I have all this experience. Can somebody hire me? And it took longer than expected. I was maybe maybe unemployed for like six months, but actively searching and trying to really get more experience while I was looking for jobs. Um, but yeah, so it's, you really have to try. You really have to want it. You have to persevere. You don't have to give up. Like, you can't give up. I, there were nights where I was very upset that I wasn't getting jobs, but it eventually worked out. I got a job at Sony Music after a lot of interviews and a lot of rejection, but it worked out. So you just really have to have the passion and the perseverance and never give up. How many interviews were there? You want to know. <laughs> well, they probably do want to know, because they would think one or two. Um, I had a book of, prob I applied to probably over 100 jobs. I interviewed for maybe 20. Didn't get any of them. Like, I got very, very high up and didn't get them. <laughs> but eventually got one. So there, there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is, I promise. And now Joe's story is a lot better than mine. Here you go. 
So Joe Pomerico got his MBA here. When did you finish? Last year? 18? May of 18? And um, you got your undergrad at Ramapo. And he's an actually, he's a, he's a legitimate uh, Ramapo Indian. And he um, then ended up coming here and getting his, he's Iroquois as well. He's 100% of each. And, um, he's, and he's uh, working with Elizabeth Warren on her campaign, by the way. Ooh, political joke. He is so funny and good looking. So anyway, uh, Joe's going to come over and explain what happened when we took a visit to the Warner Music Group uh, two years ago. Could be three. Here he comes. It's his microphone. Go. So yeah, as uh, Professor Feld mentioned, I went on the tour with the group, and I just sort of stuck around afterwards when I saw that they had a recording studio. It's kind of my experience, I just worked in Pro Tools and other studios for however much, however long before I got to that point. So that's a lot of preparation. But once I got in the room, I sort of networked and talked with the people there, and I was not leaving without, you know, somebody's number to keep hustling and, and hassle them to let me into the door. And then when I was interning, I was actually interning with Joel, and um, we did the Marketing Madness group, and I just tried to make myself like known to everybody in all the different departments that I, you know, I'm here. And uh, when the internship was up, they were asking if I wanted to you know, intern again. And I was like, can you pay me so I can quit my other job and do this full time? And it ended up working out. Please sit down. We have four panelists here. I don't know who, they, I'm sorry you guys, because they just insisted that they come up and, and talk. So I apologize to our four panelists. So, uh, they sort of said it too, but you guys were certainly leaning towards this is not nine to five, is it? No. Uh, no. Why don't you just, um, somebody want to start with just a typical day? Like what time you get in, what's facing you when you get in? Uh, I know every day is different, uh, but just, you know, sort of give them a, sort of a, an idea of what happens in your department. So, <coughs> every, every, every day is different. You know, I, I have certain set meetings where I, I, I sit on stream meeting, meetings, A&R meetings, marketing meetings, what have you. But then, you know, something will come up where I'm sitting in a marketing meeting and I'll see publicity wants to send out live snakes for the new Young Thug record. So alarms go off. I would step up, leave the room, have to call insurance, call outside lawyers to see if we could actually do this. And we did. But stuff like that happens, or, you know, unfortunately, an artist might have some legal trouble, and I'll get a call for that, or I'll get pulled into uh, Kevin Lyle's office, who's the chairman of 300, and, you know, he'll want me to meet with X, Y, and Z. So it's just, it's a, it's a constant, you know, every day is different. Uh, as far as my, my hours, you know, the music industry tends to start later, and people stay later. But, you know, if I get there at 9 o'clock, I'm turning the lights on. Uh, but nowadays, you know, I have my computer with me. I have my phone with me. I, I leave when I leave. But I may be working from wherever I am all night. Not every night. But, you know, typically, if I get a phone call at 11 o'clock at night, I, I pick it up. And what is, when you think of besides the snake, one of the strangest sort of things you never thought you'd have to do? Oh, that was right up there. I mean, we, we had probably 100 snakes in the office last year, 
and we we hired a handler to to send them out and. We actually showed up at different uh, places with a, a, a cage. <laughs> uh, some people, they people had the choice to to reject it and, and send it back, but you know there were a lot of radio stations, a lot of uh, uh, publications that were like, no way. Uh, yeah, yeah, a lot of people came. Some of them were pets in the office for a while, but I won't tell you what happened to them. But. Uh, well, the, your label, the label's extremely successful, of course, certainly on the, the number of releases and the number of hits you have, but would you say that that campaign was successful? Uh, yeah, well, it certainly got people's attention, you know? Uh, that, that was, that's right up there. I mean, if I think through my career, we've, we've done a lot of stuff that, you know, part of what we do is try to find new ways to do to, to get the word out and to, to capture fans' attention and things like that. So it doesn't always have to be shocking, but uh, it's, I'm not the creative guy, I never pretend to be, but it's, it's around us all the time. And sometimes you're just lucky. You know, when, uh, when Migos came out and uh, Childish Gambino did his acceptance speech and he said, and I'd like to thank God and, and Migos, bad and bougie. And the next day, that album went through the roof. And that was just luck. You mentioned a second ago about we have to be creative in getting the word out. And there's a concert promoter, two people away from you, Sean Striegel, at, at Live Nation. So as a promoter, you're, you're the promoter. So what are some things that Live Nation is doing? Because you're, you're talking about all different size concerts, everything from a Madison Square Garden show to Gramercy Theater to smaller than that. So what are some things that you guys do at different levels to get the word out for your shows? It's insane. I mean, everything. You have your standard. Print is pretty much dead, but you still utilize it depending on the market, radio, TV. But digital. Digital is where it's at right now. And there's no other way to say it, but the only way to get the most engagement from digital is when the artist is involved as well. I, I thought of another thing. So, at, at this year's Super Bowl, which was in Atlanta, we, we, we did a big promotion with uh, Billboard. We have a, a label, it's Young Thug's label, called YSL Records. And we rented a goat, again with the animals, and we had, we had a goat that had YSL Records that was brought everywhere in Atlanta, filmed everywhere in every strip club. Uh, just young thug is the goat, right? So that's right up there with 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 some some crazy stuff. Um, the, the craziest and unfortunate thing, because Alex is all into snakes, um, the goat is dead because a snake ate the goat in an office. Not true. Not true. So, um, well, <laughs> but we got yeah, of the goat getting eaten by the snake in your office. Good job, Mark. So, so Sean, you were going, you were going on. You were saying no, digital, uh, digital, digital. Does that include email? What is digital to you? Digital is is social media. I don't know if that's me feedback. Uh, social media. It's email blast. It's the venue. It's the promoters' social media properties. It's the artists' social media properties. It's you know, it's it's a Ticketmaster blast. The ticketing company. It's uh, it, it's everything. I mean, you you have so many different social media properties that it, it, 
and like I said, it, it's it's the combined efforts. Uh, once you can get them all together and include the artists' engagements in it, that that's where you win, and that's how you get the largest amount of eyeballs. You you once uh, we were talking once. You said you are a fan of Groupon in early early stages. Not you know we think I I do anyway. Think your Groupon at the very last effort, you know, that it goes on the Groupon for 12 cents or whatever. But no, it's part of the mix in the on the onset. Yes, okay. I like Groupon for the onset. Groupon is a great tool to use when you're putting a show on sale if it's a limited amount because it reaches a specific demographic, a specific mindset of person, and it's a great marketing tool. You might get an email blast from us, you might not get an email blast from us, but for some reason you might not want to be engaging and looking at what the upcoming concerts are in your area, but you might be looking for a deal, and so some people are going to pay more attention to that group on email. And so it's just utilized as another marketing tool at the onset. Um, that's why I use Groupon, is for the marketing aspect, not necessarily for a discount. That's why in any of my shows, I never use it at the end. That looks like a fire sale. That looks like you just can't fill a room, and that's not the reason why I use it. I strictly use it as a marketing tool. One, one final thing to, to kind of finalize this specific part of, of what you're doing, Sean. Um, to sum up, you're talking about a number of times how much the artist is involved. And I think it's important that the people in the audience understand if you are already an artist or if you work with artists, the artist's work is never done. You might think, I'm going to get signed to 300 Entertainment, going to do this great tour with my agent, and Live Nation's going to promote it all around the world. All I have to do is get out on stage, play, and do whatever else. But it's not like that, is it? It's not you just give it all up and I'm just on stage. No, not at all. I mean, from the promoter's aspect, I'm going to want, you know, if I bought your tour, I'm going to want a video message from you announcing that you're going on tour. I'm going to want some sort of messaging from you for each individual date. I'm going to want some specialty artwork if you can make it for me for every single individual date. I'm going to want your involvement every along every step of the way because every market likes to feel like they're special and the fans want that. And from the label side, they're going to want that as well. It, it doesn't just end as like, woohoo, I got books, I'm going to go play 35 cities. You're going to have to be involved with that from the get-go. And then I'm going to need you to approve your merch. I'm going to need you to sign off on what your VIP experience looks like. And then when you go to the venue for your show, you're going to need to do a meet and greet. You're going to have to shake hands, say hi to the fans. It's so important in the beginning stages of an artist's career. And then hopefully you're surrounded by good business people. Um, I like to say the music business is a bit of an, bit of an oxymoron at times, mm -hmm. I find. Um, and I think if an artist has a strong set of business people around them, then we'll be bringing you deals that you need to review. You need to decide, do you want to promote this product? Do you want to do a capsule collection with this brand? And then if so, then you need to go to the account and do an in-store there and a promote and appear. 
So it is, it is never ending. And even on your side, Alex, you're not just looking to present to the artists all the time. Here's this thing, here's this thing, here's this great idea for merch. In a perfect world, the artist is also coming to you, 21 Pilots, and you can maybe explain what they do. And um, uh, Geneva, you can maybe jump on that as well. In terms of the most recent record, what 21 Pilots did with their own uh, color scheme and all that yeah. kind of stuff. I mean, 21 Pilots is somewhat of an anomaly in today's kind of music landscape in the sense that um, they put together a fully kind of front-to-back concept album. And again, you can speak more to this, but they do have a creative director that works with them that we work with on our side who comes up with kind of the aesthetic and the thematic uh, around the album, around each song, around what some of the iconic iconography means. How do we interweave that into the merchandise? How do we then strategically launch the merchandise? Do we launch it with one partner? In this case, it was Hot Topic. Um, and they dropped it in waves and kind of capsules, and there was a, a woven theme throughout of a yellow flower, and each song had a different flower attached to it, and so we had to make sure that the merch that was dropping correlated with the, kind of correlated with that same design aesthetic. Um, so yeah, I mean, that, that's a really good example yeah. of that. You nailed it, for sure. Like, everything they do has a set vision, and everything kind of has to implement that, like, in stages so everything from the tour it's like the lighting it's all yellow and the fog comes out and you're transported to the world that they created and their posters have the same kind of visual themes running through it so i think having a point of view as an artist or if you're on the artist team is really important um, the hardest and the most difficult thing to do is when you're working with the artist or their team and you're presenting let's say design options and the feedback is, I just don't like it. Okay, well, why don't you like it? It's just not cool enough. Well, define cool. Like, what would make this cooler, in your opinion? And then it's just silence. <laughs> so that's rough. And you want to be in charge of your own brand, because that's essentially what you're becoming in today's landscape. And if you don't have a point of view on that, then people can take it all kinds of which ways. Want to, by the way, bring it up again. If anybody has any questions that they would like to ask, come on up to the microphone and we'll, we'll get to you. We will allow you to do You've got about 10 more minutes, that's all. For each of you personally, what would you say is your big, the biggest failure, the biggest mistake that you have made in your career? Could be when you first started out, could be yesterday, but also how you overcame it. Because everybody in here is going to fail, they're all going to mess up. And I'm assuming you guys have done the same thing. Can you think of something that you look back and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I said that or did that and how you were able to either from a business standpoint overcome it or just in your head get past it? I'll start. Yeah. I'll, say, I'll say this and it's a mistake that I've made more than once and I probably will make again and that's assuming things. Um, I've made the mistake of assuming that a record label had talked to management about something or I had made the mistake that management had already had this discussion with the agent or I made a mistake that the agent had had a discussion with management about something and it's come back to bite me. That is my biggest mistake that I have ever made and that just dot every I, cross every T. And even if you think it's the most meaningless little question, ask it. Let somebody tisk at you for asking a question, but you know what? 
cover your back. That's the that's the biggest mistake I've ever made. And you're in a a spot where they say usually if the sell if the show sells out, well the artist was great, and if the sell, show didn't sell out, then the promoter screwed up. True, <laughs> yes, but it doesn't matter if right. somebody is sells out or not, if there's an issue that's created along the way that creates ill will between agent, artist, and promoter, that can affect the next play, the play after that. And it can also affect the next 30 markets. So that's where the problems can be created just by simply not asking that one dumb little question. You said, you, <clears throat> you've said that you've repeated that. I'm not saying you make it every day, but... Um, is, is, do you have like a, a thought process or a checklist or something to make yourself... No, it, it's always in a different situation. Not mm -hmm. always, but it's, it's in a different situation. Right. And you just, you never know when it creeps up. And maybe it's you, it's, you thought your assistant checked off or did this, or you thought you did that, or, or you thought somebody else on your team did it. Don't rely on somebody else. Just do it yourself. Okay. Just double check. All right, good. Alex, what about you? Um, I'd say the biggest mistake that I made was actually in the years just preceding me joining the music industry, and that was getting too comfortable in a certain career path and allowing fear to kind of guide my decision-making in staying in a position that I knew I wasn't feeling fulfilled in and staying far longer than I really should have. Um, versus pursuing kind of different interests and passions. So I think uh, it's easy, especially starting out, to kind of judge yourself or hold yourself to a really high standard, especially when there's bills to pay. Um, but you know, if you ever get the opportunity to really chase what you want to do, and even if it feels like a little bit of a risk, don't make the mistake of not doing that, because uh, you'll get stuck and you'll get stuck for longer than you ever would have thought. All right, Geneva, rambling with gambling, what about you? I think my biggest mistake was not really being vocal and speaking up for whether it be like not questioning enough or saying what I really want or asking for more work or asking for less work when I needed to. Um, an example, I for a time was the only one assisting seven people in a department and for not wanting to let anyone down, just kind of just kept taking all the work that was kind of being thrown my way because I wanted to impress everyone and get the job done, make sure like everyone knew they could rely on me. But in doing that, I was completely unhappy. I was suffering, I was struggling. And all I had to do was kind of like, hey, like I'm one person, can you maybe handle this part? And I can pick it up when you get to this level or whatever it is. Um, and now I'm kind of at a point where I'm not afraid to speak up and like say like, hey, actually this is a little bit too much to put on my plate right now, or I don't have enough on my plate, like give me more. Um, and it's definitely helped me pers like pursue more and kind of grow in my career rather than just kind of letting things happen to me and making stuff happen for myself. <clears throat> Mark Robinson. Yeah. <laughs> American Idol. Uh -huh. 
If you guys make a mistake on the job, how important is it to own up to it? To be able to say, that, I, that was my mistake, I messed that up. You are nodding your head. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I, I do agree, but I also think that if you're going to present a problem, you should have some sense of a solution to present along with it. So if you made the mistake, more than likely you have an idea of how to help rectify it. But you should let the person know and then step in with the possible solution. Um, and then I, I would also say that on a management side, when you're you have people that are working for you. I think people get promoted in every industry to become managers of people, and that's a really difficult job, and it's a skill set that takes a lot of attention because you're responsible for someone's career. So when you get to the point of managing another person, own that responsibility, and if they make a mistake and are not willing to own it, then it's your responsibility to give them that feedback swift uh, as possible and let them know so that they can also own it themselves. We're in a relationship based, or we're in a business based on relationships and reputations. It's that simple. If you screwed up, say it. Take the repercussions. Just do it. It's just going to be worse down the line anyway, don't you think? You know, because if you try and cover it up, they're going to find it. It's, you yeah. can't run away from it. How about you, Geneva? owning up to it or you, you you're yeah you, de you definitely like as soon as you're aware of it you have to let it be known and I love the fact of like presenting it with a solution because that goes so much further than just presenting a problem and then leaving it on your boss or someone else to deal with it you guys must have a question or two who would like to come up and ask a question question for the whole panel yeah come on up it's all come right on up. you guys want to be first let me ask you guys a question then. What do you think about, yeah, that, that, uh, uh, excuse me. Okay, now people can come behind him. Yeah, look at, look at me, look at me. You can pretend you're the lead singer of a band as you ask a question. Watch this, watch this. So guys, I just hurt my hip. <laughs> when you turn 30, because everything just falls apart. So I ran over from there to here, completely free. Then I did the joke, the hip joke. No idea what I was going to ask you guys. What should I ask you guys? What? How, oh, here's a good one. Okay, since you won't ask it. So I'm a kid. I'm a college kid. I want to get in. What's the biggest? Oh, personality-wise, what are you looking for? Are you looking for type A personality? Are you looking for 
the shy person? Do you not care? Are you looking at the resume, the academics? Are you looking at just how they present, how they can BS in the interview? Are you looking for, what do you want when you guys are hiring? Because each of you are involved in interns and, and people staffing under you. What do you want? Yeah, and I, I would say someone who's come prepared. So maybe they don't have the experience because they, they compensate for that by having done their research. Everyone's Googleable these days, and if you do a quick Google search on the person that you're meeting with and you come prepared with some background information and some really pointed questions, that goes a long way. And I can tell you what we're not looking for. We're not looking for fanboys and fangirls who are just so psyched to be around talent that they can't control themselves. Mm. That's prop. Kind of going off of that is what I'm not looking for is somebody who's applying for a hundred jobs within my organization. Like, kind of know what you're going for. Like, the, nothing turns me off more than like I can see what everything you've applied for within my organization. And like, oh, it has 72 open applications right now. Mm -hmm. like, really? I don't even want to waste my time. It could be the greatest person, but I, they'll never make it to my desk. That's a great point because it's so easy. Uh, Online-wise, exactly. to just apply for all those. That's great from your perspective to see, not to do that. Then you answer them. There's a young man behind me right here. There's a whole line. There's a line of people. See, I broke. I broke the ice doctor to save on. I broke it, man. Yeah, you are. Answer and then here they come. I look for personality. I also look for someone who's eager to learn and willing to do anything that's asked. Um, we're never going to ask you anything completely crazy. So as long as you show that you're willing to put the effort in, um, and believe it or not, that can come across in an interview. That's kind of when I make my decision. Um, my name is Gadiel. Um, hi guys. Great to Hello. talk to you guys. Um, so my question is, um, I'm a, I want to be a, aspire to be a music producer, to basically work with artists and try to produce their records and to fulfill the vision that they want to achieve. And, um, but of course on the side as well, I have my own artistic ventures as in making instrumentals and having my own inspirations that influence my own music. And um, just recently I've tried to, I, want, I really wanted to investigate how I can, you know, put my foot in the door to start making connections and to rise up as you know, to become um, the music producer and composer that I really would want to be. Um, like recently I figured out one of my favorite artists are coming into town and I wanted to, you know, buy maybe like a ticket to maybe meet them backstage. But I think, like you guys here, I wanted to ask, is there any other like ways I could, you know, probably put my foot into the door, into the door and just meet and make connections with artists and such like that. You guys look at me. I'm probably the wrong person to ask on this, but I'll, I'll give you an answer. 
And that is that, do you have any friends that are musicians? Okay, if you're looking to be a producer, I would say hone your craft. Just start recording your friends. Just start re producing your friend's songs. Produce, it, just do as much work as you possibly can. And as you, you know, as you strengthen your skills, that's when you're going to start to gain recognition. Just because you meet your favorite artist, that's not going to do anything to further your career. That's just going to be a one-on-one -on -one interaction that probably won't get you anywhere until people know your name and know who you are. Like, it's more important right now for you to, like, actually get your skills sharpened. So I, I would just, like, do as much producing as I can of my friends' bands and your own stuff to, to where you can actually get your name out there. I would also say, and I don't touch the music side at all, but I'm surrounded enough by it that I hear these things. I'd say that the advent of all of these new digital media platforms, it's kind of created an open marketplace. So to his point, if you hone your craft and you kind of build your portfolio, so to speak, people will take notice. And then, you know, there is a lot to be said about connecting with people digitally. And if you have it to back it up, if you have the music to back it up, and they like what they hear, that'll come naturally. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. No Hi guys, I'm Pat Trainer, marketing management major, and also uh, aspiring musician. So I had a question um, on the basis of social media and technology and the advances we have. It's pretty. It's getting easier for an artist to go from zero to sixty. So what are you guys doing? to like pitch to them that you can get them from the 60 to 100. Um, you, like you said, there's more artists going from zero to sixty, right? And there's a the, it's the same amount of people on the planet, and like you said, there's a lot more noise. So if we believe in you, you've got to have the skills to back up, right? And there's a lot more artists out there, and if you're not rising above, and your skills aren't like that much above what everybody else is. We're not going to get behind you to help you go from that 60 to 100. So you've got to be as strong of an artist for us to get behind you. Otherwise, you're just part of that other noise. I mean, it's, it's that simple. That, that's, you have to be better than the rest as well. I'm Wendy. I'm a freshman with a media production major, and, um, and I'm on a minor in music and entertainment. Uh, earlier today, you were talking about climbing up the corporate ladder. Like, how do you know that you're stepping up? Like, you're kind of going forward. Like, you're kind of you're kind of like going further than where you were before. And how do you kind of show them, like, yeah, I'm the person for this job. Like, 
something like that. Like, what can you do to show them that you're the right person? Keep going. Like, if you're still like there, the, if you're still there, you're climbing. I, I, I always tell my team or anyone that comes and asks me that type of advice to start doing the job you want six months before you want it. So take on the responsibility. Presumably, you're not making mistakes in the current role that you have, and you're fulfilling that beyond expectations. But then you should start taking on the responsibilities and coming up with ideas that shows you as a forward thinker, thinking about that next step, that next Like, there's so many people who want to break into this industry. Like, how do I stand out? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, guys. First of all, I just want to say thank you very much for giving your time, for being able to do this. Thanks, Philip, for, you know, being able to arrange and everything, and, you know, introducing myself in front of you guys. So my name is uh, Jeet Chatterjee, and I'm currently a uh, jazz drummer performance major here at William Patterson, as well as a sound recording engineer. And my question is, I think Sean or um, Alex, one, one of you guys said it, is like knowing exactly what your brand is. And I think that's something that I have a... Uh, um, a struggle with just trying to find out uh, who I am and like what I exactly want to do because you know um, knowing as much as I can about jazz music just being a better musician inspiring musician as well as just being a uh, a, um, a sound sound engineering producer and um, you know recently I started um, a YouTube channel and that's also another another avenue that I have um, so one like you know what what are some tips that you guys have that like you know knowing exactly what you want to give to the music industry and what you want to serve and like, you know, what your purpose should be. Yeah, I, I'm big on branding because mm -hmm. we're surrounded by it, right? And at the core of it is a story. So you may not know what your brand is quite yet, but you know your story. And your story is gonna ultimately help shape your brand. And that brand will change over time. You'll see it with any big artist that you may like. They go through transitions. They go through kind of redesigns so to speak. They change their style, they change their music, um, and that comes because their network starts to expand. So if you're just starting out, you know, the people around you are going to help point that out to you as well, and you're going to get exposed to things that you may not have thought of that you may want to take in and say, okay, I, I want to have a piece of that. How do I shape what I'm doing to kind of incorporate that moving forward? But it's definitely not something that happens overnight. Some people have a very clear direction and it's very singularly focused, but it's, it's no, there's nothing wrong with taking the time to kind of build the story and the brand, ultimately, that's going to tell it for you. Right. <clears throat> cool. Um, okay, cool. Thank you very much. Thank you. Is it working? Yes. Okay. So, uh, closer. <laughs> Hi, I'm Larissa. I'm a sophomore media production major. Possibly this is my minor PR. But I have a question for you, Alex. When you were talking about like creating design and stuff like that before, what if the artist doesn't like it, but you guys still approve of it? Like, could they like, have so, something like that? If, if I'm hearing what you're asking, we don't, we don't put anything out without the artist. Without approval. the artist, yeah. So we're very... We pride ourselves on our relationships with mm -hmm. our artists. So if you don't like it, then we're going to keep going and working at it until you do. Mm -hmm. And any input that you can give us to help inform that design is going to be really important. So even if it's just, you know, I don't like this, but maybe if there was more blue in it, it might speak to me more. Yeah, or like different fallen or whatever. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So we won't do anything without the approval. Okay. Thanks. Okay. 
be short. Hi, my name is um, Ren Abden. I'm actually a pop music major here. And um, on, right now, I am like aspiring to be a musician. I want to be a vocalist. However, like maybe one day in the future, that might, um, I might want to change that. Maybe I want to be a manager. How do I know that I want to be doing what I'm doing? And if I don't, should I continue what I'm doing until I find what I want to actually do? Or do I quit what I'm doing and just constantly search for what I want to do? Wow. I think learning about yourself, too, right? We all change, not similar to the other question. We change over time. Your interests are going to change over time. You may start out as an artist and then decide, you know, I don't really like to be on the front of stage. I want to be behind it. And I think I can help this other artist better with their business. So I'd give yourself that time to really get to know yourself now, presently in this moment, determine what you want to do right now and not think too, too far ahead because tides change. What makes you happy uh, right now? I mean, if you're happy being a singer, you can always learn more about the business at the same time. You know, work on your, work on your craft, you know, continue to sing, continue to work on that. But at the same time, you can be learning about the business. The business is really just business. It, it, you can always learn about that same time and you'll fit you'll follow what what you're enjoying you'll, you'll figure it out i agree with everything everyone else said i just agree with what everyone else said. <laughs> thank you good evening good evening everyone uh, my name is david i'm a marketing major here and um this question is more for the creative side and like because I know there's a few artists and producers and different things in the room. Um, when you come up with the embodiment of an artist, what are you looking for, per se? And that, that I'm asking that on a business side and a talent creative side as well. Yeah, I think, I think so too. I think from um, the place from where I sit, uh, it also matters kind of going back to the point of if you have and a vision and if you're comfortable with who you are and, and to his point how you present yourself and I think social media is a really powerful tool and I think more and more I'm seeing at least that people are looking to social media as an indicator um, both of influence but also kind of just general um, awareness of themselves so I think those are all tools that you know kind of the disposal to help craft ultimately the vision of someone that might be taking an interest in you as an artist. Thank you. Hey, uh, my name is Jason, and you guys were saying before that this is a super passionate industry, and it's, it takes a lot more than just showing up to work. And I was just wondering if you guys had specific moments where you realized that, where you were like, okay, I'm not going to sleep in in my day off. I'm going to get up and do these things, or I'm going to wake up this time before work, get this, this, and that done. Um, I was just wondering, were there, uh, was there a moment where you realized how to work like that and even be happy? I think it comes down to your personal work ethic, too, no matter the job, right? Right. Um, what drives you, and ultimately, do you need to pay the bills? Because that can be a motivator in and of itself to do what you can to make sure that you keep the job that you have. 
but with regards to the music industry, I, I think you said it, you know, perfectly. Um, when you find something that you really love doing, you don't ever want to risk that opportunity. So you do everything you can to keep it. Okay. I, I just want to add real quick to that. I think for me, it was the minute when I realized I was doing it because I wanted to and not because I was doing it out of fear of losing the job. That's probably right what it all shifted for me. Hi, how's it going? My name is Kenny. I'm a recent Rutgers graduate, and I'm like a music, freelance music journalist and photographer. You guys are really just a little different because you're more on the business side, but I was kind of wondering, like, for someone who's kind of like in the music industry, trying to like promote artists, trying to write about them, trying to photograph them, do you have any general advice as to someone on how to like bring into that industry, how to like develop relationships, and how to like carry yourself forward and develop a brand? Write really good emails when you're putting in your requests to <laughs> go to these shows and photograph the artists. Um, and then also always include your portfolio if you have one. Make sure you're, I think the theme of the night is hone your craft no matter what it is. So if you're a photographer, make sure you're taking great photos. Um, yeah, and when you're at shows, talk to people, even at the local level, take pictures of local bands, take pictures of your friends. Do you, are you associated with any blogs or, no, there's no blogs anymore. Are you associated with any like, any websites or any like groups or, or anything like that outside yeah, yeah, of your yeah. own personal uh, like Instagram account or anything? Yeah, no, I write for like one blog. I've written about like 30 pieces. I do like a lot of like written reviews and like I photograph like local bands like like you were saying. Uh, like obviously like obviously at a certain point my biggest question was like how do you obviously graduate from like the local level to like the larger level of course. <laughs> well, I'll tell you one thing that's impressive to a promoter and, and I ask the label if they labels if they care about this but one thing that's impressive to me more is a preview than a review because a preview is going to help inform people that that event is actually coming to town whereas a review it's already passed right i mean i have friends that took up photography just for fun and now are pretty much at every major music event uh, on the east coast out there shooting with a photographer's pass so, and they just did it through the hustle. I mean, I'm speaking for them, but they went out to the clubs every night, they were at the after parties, and they always had their camera with them, and it was always very professional, and then they just kind of got known in the scene. Thank you. Hi, my name is Patrick. I'm a jazz performance and music industries major here at Warren Patterson. And I was wondering if there was anything academically that we could be doing to elevate our applications once we send them. Because I know work ethic is important and your, and your experience. But if there was like certain classes or certain skills, we should definitely be sure to pick up during our time here. Any course that Marconi or Phil Peach is a great place <laughs> to start. Of course, of course. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's hard for me to answer because I'd be a hypocrite to say anything because I didn't come from the music industry. I didn't study anything remotely to music or marketing. Sure. I was a classical studies major in college. Yeah. Studied Latin. Uh -huh. So I, I, <laughs> I'd be a hypocrite to say that I, so, so actually that translates into what I look for in a candidate. I don't actually look too much at the education and maybe I shouldn't be saying that at a college. Sure. Yeah. But I do look at experience and interest and how you carry yourself and kind of how you present yourself on paper and 
if you have the relevant coursework, that's amazing. But what else are you doing to kind of round out your life? Sure. There's life off campus. Thank you. Thank you all for your questions. We do appreciate that. You really added a lot to this stew we call Music Days 101 and More. Right, Dr. Devon McConnell? Yes. So we should thank our panelists at this point. Shouldn't yes. we, everybody? Should we thank them? Yes. All right. There's, you got one person standing. So Mark Robinson, thank you very much for being here, Mark. Mark Robinson, everybody. Alex Cram, thank you for being here, Alex. Alex Cram, everybody. Shawan Strigo, thank you very much. Shawan Strigo from Lavinesha. And Geneva Gamblin from Electra Geneva, thank you so much. Yeah. Great to have you. Thanks for cameo appearances by Joelle and by Joe. And we want to thank Ashley here for being all engineer-like. But we should give a big round of applause for Esteban Marconi, the doctor. And of course, my co-host, who needs no introduction. Now, I am your professor, David Kirk Philpott. It's wonderful having you here. We are at the end of this part of the event. At the end of every event, we do not say hello. That'd be silly, wouldn't it be? Because we're at the end of the event. So you know what we say at the every end of every event? You're going to say it with me. Count of three. One, two, three. Adios! Hey, Dave. What do Paul Sinclair from Atlantic, Tom Hefter from Ticketmaster, Rosie Lopez from Tommy Boy, and Heather Ellis from Pandora all have in common? They're all bigwigs in the music and entertainment industry, Esteban. And? They all hate warm beer. And? They've all been guests on the Music Biz 101 and More radio show at 8 o'clock on Wednesday nights. Bingo. If you want to learn more about the music and entertainment biz, tweet in a question and tune in every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock to Music, music Biz 101, 101 and More on Brave New Radio. radio.